Um, we're reading from John chapter 4, verses 1 to 42, and it is page 752 in the Red Pew Bibles. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who was baptised but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to the town to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he had he, as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his, and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to, an eternal, to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come, keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is... You have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when, we, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? 
My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Then they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. Uh, that You've chosen to speak to us through your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And you've also made yourself known through this word, this Bible that you've, you've caused to be written down uh, by your spirit. Father, we pray that you would help us to come to understand in a good way, in a deep way, this, how this passage works and how we can benefit from it. We pray that you'd help us to uh, hear from it and respond in faith. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever had an experience where you've wondered whether you're seeing things the right way? Those times when you might need a reality check because what you can see that's going on on around you is sometimes hard to believe. I had an experience a little bit like that on Friday afternoon as I drove a Tarago load car full of kids to youth group. Uh, we were heading up the hill towards the observatory on Lord Street and there's two lanes that go that way up the hill and there's two lanes that go in the opposite direction down the hill. And I saw a car pull out at Church Street and it drove into the right-hand lane that was supposed to be going up the hill. And I thought to myself, hmm, there's something wrong with this picture. And I flashed my lights and honked my horn and thought, uh-oh, here's trouble. And so I looked in the rear vision mirror and saw all these cars coming up the hill as this car was heading down, head on towards them. Well, fortunately, in that situation, everything uh, turned out okay. People were sensible, they slowed down, and this poor, it wasn't a pea platter, uh, decided to slow right down and turn the car around and, and head in the right direction. So fortunately, there was no problems. Unfortunately, that just brought back memories, embarrassing memories for when I'd done a similar thing a couple of years beforehand near a Blacktown shopping centre. And I watched as somebody drove past me with bemused looks and the whites of their eyes lit up and... They probably thought there's something wrong with this picture here as well. And they were right. But luckily that day I zipped into a car spot and there was no trouble. But anyway, we have a picture in this gospel at the start where there is something wrong with it. In the first instance we see that Jesus, who is a, a known teacher at the time, uh, is speaking alone with a woman. Even at the risk of uh, gossip, and frowning, wrinkled foreheads, uh, Jesus takes time out to talk with a woman at a well. Secondly, the woman is a Samaritan. And ever since uh, 
the Assyrians exiled at 722 BC. Uh, the northern part of Israel, Samaria, they exiled them off to Assyria and deported the people. They left some of them behind and then brought other people back who weren't Jews. Ever since those times, the, the Jews down south didn't get on with their Samaritan neighbours. And so there was a, there was a, a hostility and a, and a mix there that wasn't, wasn't really working well. And so what we see is another thing that's wrong with this picture is Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. And the third thing that you'll notice maybe that's wrong with the picture is the time of the day that the woman is there. It's the sixth hour, which means it's probably about 12 noon and it's the hottest part of the day. And so here's a lady who's out without the other women and they'd normally find that the women would come at the cooler times of the day to get the water, say at the morning or the evening, and they'd come in a group. But here she comes at the hottest time of the day when there's nobody there uh, and she's seems to be someone who is perhaps an outcast because she's by herself. She's obviously of the kind that's being avoided by others or, or someone who's trying to avoid others, perhaps a bad character. But what we do notice is that Jesus, who has been comfortable not just talking with uh, the ruling class like Nicodemus, a man who was learned and orthodox and a ruler, uh, Jesus also is comfortable talking to this woman who is probably someone who's without influence, perhaps despised, and she certainly is not a Jew. But both the, the, the powerful and the not so, they both need Jesus. And so he takes time out to talk to her. This lady thinks there's something wrong with this picture as well. If you see that in verse 9, she says, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? But Jesus responds to her question with a question of his own, which sets the, um, I guess, the, the way forward for how this passage will unfold. In verse 10 he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, what is this gift of God in the first place? What is this gift that Jesus is talking about, this living water? What exactly is Jesus referring to? The woman's thinking on a, a different kind of plane as she starts to talk about uh, not Jesus not having anything to draw the water with. She might be thinking about buckets and ropes and things like that. But Jesus is sort of using a, a double meaning. The, the living water actually is a reference to probably running water in that culture. So she might be thinking about this special running water and perhaps a, a well that he's going to organise to get dug uh, in the way that Jacob had already dug this well. But the living water that Jesus is talking about is really on a, a spiritual level, something we know because we've read the passage. But the water that he offers her is, is far more satisfying. That's the first thing we really pick up. This is a satisfying water. It's living, which uh, Jacob's well can never satisfy a person with. And it's, it's a well, a water that wells up to eternal life. We'll pick it up in verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I, will give, I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty 
and have to keep coming here to draw water. So we're left with a little bit of confusion about what is this living water. It's not spelt out too clearly, apart from it being satisfying and welling up to eternal life. But later in John's Gospel, a bit more light is shed on this idea of living water. So if you kindly turn to John chapter 7, we can see a, a little reference there which is of some help as we grasp what this living water is all about. In John chapter 7, verse 37... Jesus, what we read is, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And John makes an editorial comment in verse 39. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. There's a connection between this living water that's going to be inside a person and the reference to this being the Holy Spirit that's in someone. Now, the life that Jesus offers on a spiritual level is very satisfying, but it's hard for this person to see that satisfaction at the spiritual level Jesus is talking about living water because it satisfies. And we can understand the, the metaphor pretty well. Whenever you've gone for a surf and you uh, get very thirsty, you having used a lot of energy with a bit of salt taste in your mouth, it's that time you really know what it means to thirst and would like some fresh water. And so he probably chooses this image because he knows that people understand what it means to thirst or, or to hunger to uh, be satisfied, particularly in a world that's very hard, where there are many disappointments and we all know in our own way our own different struggles. We long for a world where there's no hardship. We thirst for it. And we can understand the woman's response in verse 15 where she says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This lady's still focused on her earthly hardships and I can understand that. I've been on a few camping trips where I've had to carry water from the creek back to the camping spot. She's got to do this all the time. Well, we, we might not have to do it. We live in houses where there's taps, uh, good plumbing in Australia. But we can still get focused on our earthly struggles as well. There are different hardships that we have. Even as I mentioned the word hardship now, it probably doesn't take much for you to think about some of the own, your own particular struggles that you're going through at the moment. But despite the struggles that we have, Jesus calls us to put our focus or continue with our focus on eternity as he speaks about the living water that he can give us which wells up to eternal life. And that seems to come through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Well, as the woman seeks for this living water, she misunderstands what's on offer. And Jesus seems to press her a little bit harder for an understanding of what her deepest need is. She seems to be unaware that she has a need that goes beyond carrying water. And so Jesus says to her, bring back your husband. And she denies, in a right way, having a husband. 
And then he shows that he's someone very special, that he's supernatural, uh, that he's more than just a man because he knows about her life. Later on she says, I'll tell you about a person who told me everything I've ever done. And so for whatever reason, probably lots of reasons, this lady has a very complicated life morally. She's had five husbands and the person she's sleeping with now is not her husband. Perhaps Jesus is making this point and raising this so that she can see her deeper need. She's going to need something stronger than H2O to sort out her problems. But the living water that Jesus offers people only comes to them when they first recognise who he is and put their trust in him. She needs her sins forgiven and that's a reality that we all face. None of us are perfect. We all need to come to Jesus and enjoy the forgiveness that's in him. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. God's word reminds us that when we come to Christ, we can enjoy forgiveness. But if we're Christians, if we're Christians already, if we've already drunk this living water because we have come to Christ, if we've received the Holy Spirit, then God calls us to get rid of the old stagnant water, the old ways of life that sometimes might bubble up. And as Christians, we need to remember that sin is serious, that Jesus came to die for it and to deal with our sin, and that we mustn't flirt with sin. Flirting is an interesting word, isn't it? It's a, it reminds us of what kids do when they climb high on monkey bars or uh, when people want a bit of excitement in their life. They, they kind of enjoy that little uh, exploration. And we can flirt with sin. It's something that we desire to do, to maybe not go over the edge but get close to the edge. And if we're taking God seriously, we need to remember that sin is serious and we, we can't flirt with it. Instead, God's word calls us to keep in step with this spirit that's been poured into our hearts and that we ought to be people who are bearing the fruit of the spirit. I hope you know what the fruit of the spirit is, but I'll go through the list anyway. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But which fruit of the Spirit do you think you need to work on? Are you a kind person or are you a hard man or a hard woman? Are you someone who's got self-control or is that something that you need to wrestle with? It's interesting as we look through the list of the fruit of the Spirit to work out what areas we really need to shape up in. Now, there's always room to do some work, isn't there? Well, that's probably not a bad challenge for us to take away for today, to think about when we go home, what is the fruit of the Spirit that we need to work on? Well, the second part that we're going to deal with now is whether we know the one who gives life. Jesus in verse 10 says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that that gives it, you know, you'd ask him for living water. Well, who is this one that gives the gift? Jesus has now walked through this awkward situation with the lady and spoken to her about the sin in her life. And the woman now turns her attention to who Jesus is and the topic of worshipping God in the right way. 
And she seems to make some progress in her thinking about who Jesus really is. She starts to grapple with him, and we can see that little progress. Uh, from verse 9, she originally just said, you are a, you a Jew? And then she moves in verse 11 to sir. And here in verse 19, she says, I can see that you're a prophet. So she's starting to move forwards. I'll pick it up in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on, worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Uh, just a side point here, the Samaritans only accepted the Pentateuch. They only accepted the first five books of the Bible. And so the other parts of the Bible which talked about where God's temple was to be, they didn't have them. And so Jesus is quite right in well, of course he's right, but he's making the point that uh, the Jews know what they're supposed to be doing. They were obedient to God to put the temple where they were supposed to. Anyway, so you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. And so the lady started to make progress. She was beginning to realise that Jesus might even be the Messiah. And that's the first step to her really receiving the living water. I say that because throughout the Bible we see that people have got to first come to Jesus for life and then are given the spirit. We see this very clearly in John's Gospel in chapter 5. Uh, people diligently study the scriptures, it says in John 5.39. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So Jesus lays it on their conscience that they need to come to him. It's no good just looking at the Bible. They've got to come to him for life. And the same thing said at the end of uh, John's Gospel. In chapter 20, we read, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so the challenge for us and for everybody is to come to realise who Jesus is. That's what this woman's doing. She's starting to realise that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the King. But it's a mysterious process how people even arrive at that point. Uh, earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus talks about the wind, how it blows wherever it pleases. You can hear its sound, but you can't see where it's coming from or where it's going. And so it is with everybody who's born of the Spirit. You can't see God reaching into someone's life and changing their heart and turning them back to himself. That's a work that's invisible. 
but you can see the effects of that work of the spirit. the person comes to hear the news about jesus and they put their trust in him. sometimes they bawl their eyes out as they realise that they need forgiveness and that's a work of the spirit and it's a mystery how it happens but as a result of the spirit pointing person to jesus they then also receive the spirit. I say that they receive the spirit because that's what we're told in John's gospel. Uh, Jesus says, if you love me, in John 14, verse 15, you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. We've already read that in John chapter 7 about how Uh, the streams of living water will flow because the spirit is given but it's only given to people who put their faith in christ Uh, you can't divide those things apart well whereabouts are you on your journey have you put your trust in jesus do you submit to him as the king of your life and have you received god's holy spirit as a result It's important that we do that because we can only worship God truly if we come to him his way. And as we read in that section about God being spirit and his worshippers worshipping in spirit and in truth, uh, they're the worshippers God God seeks, we can only come to God his way. And so we need to be people who are born of the spirit if we're going to truly worship God. The old arguments about whether to worship on at Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim, uh, Jesus says, are redundant because those are a thing of the past. We've moved to a, a different phase now where even the temple is torn from the top down to the bottom uh, and there are no sacred places anymore. Uh, worshipping God goes out everywhere by his spirit. And so as we worship God, we're not limited to this building. That's a relief, it's made in the 1970s, I think. But we can worship God in our private times too, in our sitting by our bed with the door closed, praying, reading God's word. We can do that in the family context, or if you don't have family, you can do it with your friends. And even these times now when we're together, this is a time of worship too. All of life is worship. And this is also a special time of worship too. We worship God together. I said there's no, no more sacred places, but the fact is there's still a type of temple because in Corinthians we're reminded that because God's spirit dwells within us, when we're together, we are God's temple. And so it's a good question to ask us, how is our worship together? How is our worship? Is it the smell of death? Is it the heartless charade where people are just going through the motions and kind of like on automatic pilot when you're driving a car and you're on a highway, just sort of listening to the music, having a conversation, not thinking much about what you're doing? Or is our worship something that is filled with genuine passion for God, not just a legalism? I hope it is. I hope when we sing, we, uh, we mean what we sing. That when someone's praying, that we're praying with them and not thinking too much about the cricket or the soccer or whatever you're interested in. might be the clothes that you hang out. I hope when we worship 
God, it's, it's more than just we're coming for ourselves to get something, that we're actually committed to encouraging another person. That we don't just turn up and think, what am I going to get out of this? But we turn up and think, I wonder how I can encourage someone to grow stronger in the Lord and connect with people who don't know him. And then there's a challenge for us to think about whether we're the kind of worshippers in our private times. Are we people who are committed to reading the Bible? Or are we more committed to a particular TV program than to, to flipping it open and having the discipline to work through it? I find it is challenging reading the Bible, particularly when you're tired, but I find I get further when I just read a bit anyway and, and, and try to make that a consistent um, activity. Well, that's the challenge for us anyway, to think about whether we are the worshippers, the kind of worshippers that God seeks. Well, in the last part of this passage, we see that uh, some things happen which are quite exciting. The uh, Samaritan woman decides that she's not even worried about the, the, the real water anymore. She leaves her water jar behind her and she heads on home and fills the people in on the news that Jesus may even be the Messiah. And so the people in verse 30 come out to meet Jesus. The disciples, for their part, though, are a bit more focused on food. They've gone to town to pick up some, I don't know where they got sausages, Ben, but they've gone to town to get some food. And they're not really aware of the bigger issue that seems to be going on. I'll pick it up in verse 34. John 4:34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. The work that Jesus is referring to here where he says, uh, my food is to do the will of God who sent me and to finish his work, is a real reference to his passion though, isn't it? It's a, it's a reference to the fact that he didn't just come to talk to people, he came to lay down his life for sin and to take up his life again and pour out the spirit. But right now we see Jesus reminding his disciples of something that, ironically, the woman seems to be more aware of than they are. The woman's already headed out to uh, bring in the harvest, if you like. Jesus tells us that other people have already done the hard work. The prophets have called people back to God. John the Baptist has called people back to God. He's calling people back to God. And now he's saying now is the time for people to be coming in to Jesus for life. And the tone of this passage is quite a joyful one. This woman here is a real picture of joy as she seems to overflow with the news that this is the Messiah who's come. And there's a real connection that's made between Jesus and these people as well. It's not just a, you know, a polite, aloof kind of connection. There's a, a, a genuine personal connection as they invite Jesus to stay for two more days. I'll pick it up in verse 42. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. We, we, now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. It's a wonderful way to see the story end with a, out, a spontaneous outpouring of joy where the people come to know that Jesus is the saviour of the world. Well, it seems the woman's motivated to witness because she's overjoyed by the salvation that she's received herself. And it's good to think about wrestling, it's good for us to wrestle with our motives for reaching out and witnessing to Jesus as well, isn't it? 
Do we choose to give a reason or an answer for the hope that we have in Christ because we want to be proud about getting a scalp, as some people say, or notching up a, a, a convert on our spiritual gun? Are we committed to giving an answer or a reason for the hope that we have in Christ because we want to grow the church for church growth's sake? Is that why we would be motivated to witness? Well, it could be. But I think there are probably better reasons, aren't there? What about that we're concerned for God's glory? That we think God's name should be honoured? That we would love to see people get right with God and we enjoy bringing glory and honour to God as well? Wouldn't it be because we're concerned that when people die, they face God in judgement and there's no hope without a saviour? That's a good motive for sharing the gospel, isn't it? I get the impression in this story that it just overflowed from this woman. She was very grateful for finding the Messiah herself. And sometimes we might be able to, we might lose that uh, joy that we we originally had uh, when we realised that yeah, we can get right with God through Jesus. But we've got to recapture that, and we've got to see that there is a there is a harvest out there that people can hear the news about this Saviour and get right with God. One of the exciting things about youth group is that we keep getting these kids who haven't come to church and they're sitting there and they're reading the same stuff. They're reading John's Gospel and they're getting to know this Jesus who is the Son of God and the Saviour of the world. And it's a wonderful thing as some of them even become Christians over time. And I think we've got to continue to keep on looking outwards uh, for the glory of God. That's That's our mission and mandate. Well, may we be people who are aware that there is a harvest this week uh, and God who's equipped us in our own way to do what we can to be involved in it. Well, let's bow in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do give you thanks for Jesus who is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King of Israel and the King of the whole world. Lord, we do thank you that Jesus was a servant king, that he came and laid down his life as a suffering servant for our sin, that he might die in our place, that we can enjoy that assurance we have of life with you. And Father, thank you that Jesus is risen, that he pours out your spirit into our hearts, and he changes us, uh, that we might be people who, in our heart of hearts, want to live for you. Father, we thank you for this message today where we see how you change people. And Father, we pray for our lives, that you help us to deal with sin, that we think about throwing off the old ways, not to flirt with sin, but also to think about more positively how we can grow in the, and bear the fruit of the Spirit. Father, we also pray for our witness. We pray for the lives that we live in front of people who don't yet know you. We pray that you would help us to be careful in the way that we share the good news and also very accurate, uh, not backing away from uh, what you present in your word about our need for a saviour because we're all sinful. Father, we pray for our church as we um, are bound together, unified in Christ, but also as we seek to uh, look outwards and bear witness in this community. We pray that you would strengthen us in this in this um, duty that you've called us to. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.